the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, great to be together. I Earlier uh, on Tuesday... I shot a little video. I shot a little video. If you want to go to any of my um, social media uh, spaces, um, Twitter at Eagle Ed Martin, Facebook, uh, Ed Martin Live, Gab and uh, Parlor uh, at Ed Martin. All those different places, you'll find the short video, less than 10 minutes, what you need to know today. I'll get to it right now in my uh, segment with you, but great fun. I hope you'll go check that out, what you need to know, a short video. I'm going to try to do them every day, I'm, I'm almost every day, give you a preview of what I'm going to talk about on the show. So uh, let us get into it. We will talk in a few moments with Chef Andrew Gruel. I, if you remember him on the show, he is a character of the First Order. He really is, um, he's a great chef, as I understand it, and people tell me this. I don't know these things, but he's a great, I like to eat. And he is uh, very funny and interesting, great on Twitter. We'll also talk with Elle Reynolds, who is an editor over at The Federalist. She's got a piece up called The Press Has Lied to Drag the United States into War Before. Don't think they won't do it again. We'll see what she has to say on that. It's a good piece. All right, so we got these great interviews coming. But first, what you need to know today. What you need to know today, and this was the subject of my video, again, at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, Ed Martin Live on Facebook, uh, over on uh, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles uh, Facebook page, also Parlor and Gab. Find it, find it. It's out there. But I covered this today. The grassroots is powerful, especially for communication. Okay, the grassroots is powerful. You don't have to wait for the elected officials to give you permission. You don't have to wait for Anderson Cooper to tell you it's okay. You don't have to wait to your for your party leader. You don't have to wait for your mom or your dad. The grassroots can lead the battle for information. And let me give you an example. There is a smart guy. A very smart guy named Mike Davis. Mike Davis uh, is a, a lawyer. Um, he is a lawyer who has uh, been active uh, in sort of in the side edges of politics. He himself clerked for uh, Chief, uh, excuse me, Justice Gorsuch when Justice Gorsuch was Judge Gorsuch, and then he also did on the when he was on the on the Supreme Court. He also worked for Senator Grassley. Anyway, Mike Davis, really smart guy, really smart guy. Practiced law for a while. Worked on the Judiciary Committee up in the U.S. Senate, and what he said was. Uh, to me, about two weeks ago, he said, hey, you got to clue in on Judge Jackson. She's nominated for the U.S. Supreme Court, and there's some issues here. And he said, you got to check this out. He sent me some facts. Then he came on my radio show. You heard him on here. He did a segment with me. And then I passed all that on to other people, and we spread it around. And the word started spreading. Hey, wait a second. Judge Jackson, we're not going to slur her like they did to Kavanaugh. We're not going to lie about her like they did to Kavanaugh. We're going to say, what's your record? You were on the sentencing commission. Sentencing commission. You were a judge. What's your record? What is your actual stated preference on legal policy? That's the job you're getting, right? 
And so Mike Davis takes the facts, gives it to us, the radio show. We passed it out. It's on the Daily Wink. If you go get the Daily Wink, the, go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for the Daily Wink, the email that goes out in the morning. You will know you got that information. We spread it out. Now, I'm not taking credit for the next part of this, but I'm describing to you how you you and I as grassroots folks that care about this country have to be part of the information superhighway. Because I heard from Senator Josh Hawley's office, his staff, that they heard about what we were doing. And if you notice, Senator Hawley is the one who led just before the weekend, actually. I think he tweeted on Friday and said, ah, there's a record here of this Judge Jackson. We got to get to the bottom of this. And now they're having the confirmation hearings and they're actually talking about the record on letting pedophile offenders get lesser sentencing, which is what Judge Jackson preferred. Now, you can have a debate on that. You know, you can be whether you think that's a good issue or a bad issue. I happen to think it's outrageous. But my point for right now is to tell you all how powerful you can be on the information highway and how important it is for the grassroots to become voices for each other and voices that vouch for each other to get the word out. Because that's powerful right there. That's the way we fight back from the fake news that's everywhere. That's the way we communicate and get each other to understand what's going on ahead of the curve. Now, remember, watch what happens with the narrative machine. I've told you this a lot, but here it is again. Let's do the best example of the narrative machine. And it's just broken in the last two weeks also. In the last two weeks, the New York Times has admitted that they have authenticated the Hunter Biden laptop. It is his laptop. It was real. And therefore... Two and a half weeks before the November 2022 election, when the narrative machine kicked in and big media said, uh, no, this is not a real thing. Don't cover it. Then the only one to cover it was the New York Post. At that moment, big tech kicked in and said, um, you know what? We're not going to allow anyone to promote this. But here's the kicker. Remember the narrative machine? It's big tech, big media, and big government. In this case, it was big government in the form of over 50 senior intelligence community professionals, people that had the top secret clearance, still have it today. Because when you retire from those places, you keep your top, top secret clearances so you can go get paid as a consultant. And in this case, so you can put your name on a letter that said, we we know what disinformation is. And we say the Hunter Biden laptop is disinformation and it's Russian disinformation. Can you imagine? That was a lie. At best, they were the, these expert intelligence officials were misled or duped or made a mistake. But it looks like a lie. They knew what was going on. And what were they doing? They were influencing the election. The narrative machine said what we had to believe. The narrative was the Hunter Biden laptop was fake. It was a political trick. And big government, big tech and big media pushed that narrative on us. Now we found out it was a lie. By the way, what else are lies, right? I mean, it's unbelievable. But my point here is we now have we have the tools. Our tools are the grassroots net, grassroots network that can network past the fake news, can network past big tech, can network past even big government. It's a little bit like, by the way, what you're seeing with January 6th. I happen to know I may have been involved in some of these things. There's lots of stuff, lots of evidence that has not been reviewed, including video evidence. That's being held back. 
Right now, big government in the form of Nancy Pelosi as speaker is holding back information, I think based on security preferences. We'll see. But you know what? Who you know who would not who could change that? The next speaker of the house. He'll be in charge of that. And he could say, you know what? Or she could say, I'm going to change that policy. I'm going to make it more transparent. We'll see. We'll see. But here's my, back to my point. Mike Davis, the facts on Judge Jackson, which are now at the center of her confirmation hearing, those came about because the grassroots. Now, it had an instigator. Mike Davis is an instigator. He's an investigator. And his team, he heads up the Article 3 project. I think it's article3project.org. Article3project.org is his site. You should track him and you should support him. He's a good guy. And so... The, that's that's what happened. And you can do that. We can do that. You know, it, this is the thing about the, the access to social media. It is true they can throttle you back, right? It is true that they can make it so people don't see my posts, but they can't stop me from passing to you what I know. In fact, one of the things that I had a, a friend of mine tell me was don't get too wedded to social media as your avenue to communicate. Build your email list. Build your texting list to communicate directly to your people. I'll never forget when I started my first email list. It was maybe 20 years ago, 21 years. I'm not sure. And I had like me, I had like eight people on it. And then I realized I'm going to put all my family and friends. I put a bunch of them. They were like, what am I doing on this list? Why are you sending me things? You got to get used to that, by the way. People say, why are you sending me something? You say, sorry, I'll take you off the list. But you got to get, you got to get communicated, build your lists. Communicate the truth. Find the smart people, Mike Davis is an example, and then go about communicating what you find out. And I'm telling you, you you know, it's like basketball. I coach my sons. I mentioned this on my Wink video. If you go to Ed, at Eagle Ed Martin on uh, Twitter, you'll see me there. I, Ed Martin Live on Facebook. You see my video. And I mentioned this. I coach my sons and my daughter in basketball. And I always tell those kids they miss a lot of shots. I keep shooting, I say. Keep shooting. You got to shoot not, You got to shoot 10 times to make one. Okay, keep shooting. Then if you want to make 10, you better shoot 100 times. Keep shooting. Get the people you trust, the Mike Davises, I hope this program, get the information and get it out to your people. Grassroots can communicate and break the narrative machine. That's the facts. All right? We got to take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk with Chef Andrew Gruel and L. Reynolds, uh, the Federalist. We'll get some facts out of them and we'll pass it on. Be right back. Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Chef Andrew Gruel. Now, you've had him on. We've had him on the show before. He's um, he's a pretty extraordinary guy. I mean, on Twitter, he has great pictures of sandwiches, which is one of the things that uh, I like. It makes me happy. And his website is chefgruel.com. That's G-R-U-E-L. And one of the things, uh, Chef Andrew, that you did early on in the pandemic was help folks try to stay afloat. And uh, I think that was where I first became aware of you. Can I ask you, um, when you think about now that we're through the pandemic, a whole bunch of people have lost their businesses, right? Lost their livelihood. Are, Are we coming back? How do you feel about it all? Now, unfortunately, I don't think that we're necessarily coming back, um, in the sense of getting back to kind of pre pandemic normal, We've, you know, there were so many restaurants that were just kind of holding on and the supply chain issues, inflation, et cetera, you're seeing restaurants drop left and right. And it's kind of 
changed the order, uh, if you will, of the restaurant industry overall. Now it's really about the larger multi-unit corporations taking up some of the leftover real estate that's out there. And it's much harder for these kind of independent one-off mom and pops to, to break into the industry. But on top of all that, there's really nothing to forecast I'm, because there's so many unknowns in the economic future right now. Mm. And that makes it really difficult for all businesses. Uh, we're talking with uh, Chef Andrew Gruel on Twitter, at Chef Gruel. Uh, that's uh, Chef and then G-R-U-E-L. Uh, and so, but, but and uh, so, I mean, that, that makes me mad because now what you're saying is uh, like a lot of things, the, the, you know, whether it's hospital systems, if you're a small mom and pop doctor's office, you had a hard time riding your way through. And, you know, during that whole time, the hospital systems were buying up practices because they could get a, a, a steal, right? To get a deal. And, and again, there's nothing illegal about it, but it does make you, it, you're telling me that the, the mom and pops are having a hard time. Well, they may never come back then, right? I mean, is there, and, and is there a solution? I mean, we, we don't really want the government to manage it. So what do we, what happens? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that's, that's the question right there is, is that uh, we're, the government is just slowly creeping into our independent businesses more and more. And we see it with the regulations that are coming down, especially in places like California. I kind of have a little bit of a sneak peek into what the rest of the country could look like out here by being out here in California. But, um, you know, it's, it, it is pretty outrageous. Yeah. Um, okay. Now, a, a post-pandemic, what's your best... Um, What's your best, you know, kind of uh, food, your food preference? And now that you're back, people are kind of coming out again. Are you, you know, you're a big sandwich guy, I guess. So that's one of your things. But um, what what are you, what are you cooking? What do you think, you know, is hot? Uh, You know, I mean, I'm a seafood guy, right? So all my restaurants are seafood restaurants primarily. So I'm always going to err on that side. (laughs) Right. Is that, is that, and and is that strong? Are people coming out for seafood? Because I mean, to tell you the truth, as my family, I got a bunch of kids, four kids, as we've come out to start eating more in the last say year, um, we found, my wife said this, we've gone for safer, you know, things that we know. I mean, again, back to your point, we weren't taking chances. I can't remember the last time I had Thai food, for example. Instead, we go have burgers, right? I mean, it's an interesting, uh, all kinds of psychology of food, I guess. Yeah. I mean, comfort food, obviously in the middle of the pandemic was really big, really important, but um, you know, it's, it's, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but all I'm seeing across the industry is that people are afraid to go out. A lot of people now are cooking more at home. I'm getting more engagement on, Hey, I, I you know, content about how do I cook this at home? How do I cook that at home? Mm. Because I'm no longer going out to eat as a result of all the prices. Um, people asking me about, you know, off cuts of meat and how to cook things on the, on the cheap. Uh, the the rate at which these prices have gone up, especially on the food service side of things, is so unbelievably outrageous. And it just keeps happening over and over and over again. So, you know, we talk about how, oh, well, it's a result of the increase in gas due to the conflict in the Ukraine. Look, that's BS. We've had, These prices have gone up 300% before that crisis took effect. So, you know, while that might exacerbate it, it, it it's even worse. It was way worse before that. Is so that's when I'm, when people say inflation is hitting uh, uh, food, uh, especially is that that's not the gas prices. I mean, but is it the is it the cost of? Um, I mean, what is what is that? Because I can see I can feel that when I go out to eat now. There's a there's an Irish pub that I hadn't been to in a long time. I went for St. Patrick's Day, and I everything was fifteen now ten to fifteen percent higher on the menu. And and I guarantee you that that is uh, not even 
close to the Cover. increases that the restaurants are experiencing. Really? Yeah. Uh, so 10 to 15% higher on the menu. They're probably paying 50% higher. They're probably increasing prices just to lose a little bit less money than to make money. The, um, wow. Where does it end? Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I really don't. Um, you know, really what it comes down to at this point is that the government just needs to get out of everybody's business. They need to just let these businesses operate. We need to stop talking about all these new restrictions that are coming down and the way in which the government is gerrymandering, you know, everyone's, you know, kind of private life and specifically get out of Main Street and and just let these things operate. Uh, and, and by that, I know I'm speaking in platitudes, by that right. I mean specifically, one of the most important things is the amount of money that they are printing and giving out is just, cre it's creating, it's exacerbating this issue and they continue to do it. It's like, it just never stops all this money. Just, we hear about it. It's like every week there's just an, a new, huge, massive tranche of money being thrown out into the economy. We're talking with Chef Andrew Gruel. If you go to chefgruel.com, his website, you'll see a lot of what he's up to. But here's here's the question I want to ask you now. And I don't know how old you are, but I know I've seen I've seen your kids. You've got young kids, and I know your background. You know, you actually you're, you're trained as a chef. I think it was a uh, um, what's it called Johnson and Wales, right? The university. I think I know you yep. went there. And and but your whole like a lot of restaurateurs, you worked all all the different things, all right? So you've been in a million types of restaurants, but then you're a risk taker. And so you're saying, I'm going to open a restaurant. Like, what is it? 90% of all restaurants go under, even in the good times, not, not now. So now you're, you're, now you're saying to yourself with a few years on you, um, would you do it again? Because you've done it and succeeded, but man, it's tough. And if you were 20 years younger, would you do it again? Yeah, I'd do it again. I just wouldn't do it in California. <laughs> <laughs> no, really? Yeah. I mean, you got to find business friendly areas. That's the key to this, right? Stay out of the cities. Um, yeah. It, it, it's the cost of doing business in any of these metropolitan areas are so high that it's just, you cannot make money in retail restaurant or retail. It, it's the, the only way in which you'll make money is if you're using a space in a metropolitan or a city area to, as a billboard for a business that's not in that area, but you're trying to just draw attention to it. Mm. Um, Chef Andrew Gruel is our guest. Andrew, uh, Chef Andrew Gruel is our guest, and uh, on Twitter is great follow. One of the things on Twitter is when you appear on other uh, radio programs, uh, I see it. Jesse Kelly, you've been on his TV show. Have you tried his burger? He makes a lot of hay off of talking about his burger on his Twitter feed. Have you tried that thing? No, I have not. I have not. It looks good though. It Definitely does, looks good. It looks okay. It looks pretty good. I mean, it's typical. Uh, it's typical Jesse Kelly. All right. Well, listen. Uh, what about the effort that you were doing to help uh, those restaurants? Is that still ongoing? The foundation. Uh, you know, we 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 kind of press pause on that. It's okay. still it's it's a five hundred one c three, and we're going to be um, using it in order to help kind of people in individual scenarios where perhaps they're a little down on their luck. But we're not. We're you know just given kind of the ever changing nature of the right right industry, we haven't necessarily moved forward on that. Okay, cool. All right. Well, Chef Andrew Gruel, thank you. Chefgruel.com. I'll put it up on social media. He's great on Twitter, too. Appreciate your time and for being out there and such an advocate. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so much. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And this is a, a fun interview. L. Reynolds is an assistant editor of The Federalist, at The Federalist. And we have the, some great authors over there, thefederalist.com, thefederalist.com. And um, I love this, by the way, Ellen, your bio, it says that you were um, majored in government and then a minor in journalism. That's probably better. You don't want to do too much journalism studying because I think it, that these journalism schools turn out. But you, are, you, importantly, are at a great place, and that is Patrick Henry College. I'm a big admirer of Patrick Henry College. So thank you, L. Reynolds. The a piece that you have up, the press has lied to drag the United States into war before. Don't think they won't do it again. So welcome and tell us the history here. This is important for people to realize. So please do. Hey, Ed, thanks so much for having me. Uh, well, maybe the the <laughs> most iconic example of the American corporate press uh, ginning up propaganda, ginning up uh, fake news, really, to uh, perpetuate a particular narrative goes back to the turn of the turn of the 20th century um, with a period called yellow journalism. Right. And the most seminal example of this is um, shortly before the United States went to war with Spain over Cuba, um, there was an explosion on the U.S. battleship, the Maine, which was in harbor in Havana. And the U.S., uh, particularly the press, quickly rushed to blame Spain in an effort uh, to go to war with Spain. We had sympathy for Cuba as a fellow uh, former colony. We uh, were looking for to expand our influence and our territory. Um, and we did walk away from that war with territorial acquisitions. Hmm. Um, and so this is, this is kind of the, the main, most famous example of the corporate media uh, lying to to push a particular narrative. Well, and the famous thing, of course, is remember the Maine. If you study your history books and your piece does refer to this, remember the Maine, that became like the, the cry. And I, I often tell people, it, it, you know, the regular people are busy with their lives. Like they have lives and they, they you capture the sort of, um, you know, the, the narrative in something simple. Remember the main, right? I mean, it was kind of like, you don't have to explain that to that period. 9-11, you don't have to explain it. You just kind of, kind of, and people get a reaction to that. Now, L. Reynolds, who we're talking to, thefederalist.com is the website. Um, more modern right now. We're in a situation where you can barely tell, you know, Hunter Biden's laptop was, uh, was fake. Then it was true. Nobody apologizes for it. The Russia hoax was, uh, you know, uh, absolutely, you know, Russia hacking into our elections. Uh, oops, it wasn't anything. I, I guess the question is, how do you get out of bed? Well, who do you trust? <laughs> uh, well, I I have come to the point where, you know, when you see the corporate media, like when, when you go on Twitter, you see they'll have in the in the trending section fact mm -hmm. checkers say that such and such is true or such and such is false and i've come to the come to the point where i'll assume the opposite until proven otherwise uh, but i think that's it's so important to be asking why whenever you read an article from the corporate media or, or an article from anyone um you can you should do this when you read an article from us you know why does the author of, of this story of this article want me to read this what do they want me to think after i finish reading this uh, L. Reynolds is our uh, is our guest, and she's the author of a piece that's up and I, 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 on thefederalist.com. Uh, and of course, to me, you can't write this piece without getting to it. And you did. Uh, Walter Durante, the famous uh, New York Times Moscow correspondent who, you know, 
really did now it's clearly covered in detail he made sure not to talk about joseph stalin's uh famine the famine of the early 1930s where in ukraine of course which is ironic again and you know millions i think died but he looked the other way Uh, so here's my next question now you know l reynolds um if we can't trust the depiction of the news what's the deal with history because why would history be anything other than the writing, you know, the winners write history, of course, the victors write the history. But I mean, is it even true? Well, I, I think that's one of the many reasons why freedom of speech and freedom of thought is so critical in America, um, is that, that you can read different people's perspectives. You can, you can read this history book. You can read that history book. You can, you, you can come to your own opinions based on um, looking at different sources and looking at things for yourself. And that's why this censorship uh, machine that we're seeing now, whether it was censoring the the Hunter Biden laptop with the New York Post reported right, 17 right. months ago in October 2020. We just saw two days ago Twitter censoring the Babylon Bee for calling a man a man. Uh, and so that's why the censorship re- regime from the from big tech and from the corporate media is so damaging. <laughs> Again, our guest is Elle Reynolds, and she's uh, the author of a piece over at thefederalist.com, and, and um, she's an assistant editor there, too. It, it, late in your piece, you refer to the phrase, the word, use the word narrative. And my listeners, uh, Elle, know I go on this kick all the time. They, 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 they know I'm going to, but I'm going to do to you now because I want to ask you about it is I talk about the narrative machine. And the narrative machine is big tech, big media, and big government. They work together to push a narrative, and then they have it. And you know, you can, you can do examples. The best one, of course, is right now in our minds is the Hunter Biden thing. You know, it's big government. 50 plus intelligence community experts beyond reproach. The people that were just beyond reproach, they say it's Russian disinformation. That's big government. Then big media goes, yep, we're not going to cover it. New York post, notwithstanding you, we're not going to cover it. And then big, big tech goes, yeah, we'll join in and they'll take people off the sites and all. Here's my question. When you have voices like yours and the federalist.com, people say, okay, good. I, I can hear her. I can understand what she's writing. I can say, I think I trust her assessment. She's, she's understanding things in a way that makes sense to me. I'm gonna, she's going to be one of the people I trust. And then you run into big tech where the federalist.com is on the internet and has to rely on distribution eyeballs from the internet is the best hope thefederalist.com has a really good email list and we should all get on it so that we can get your pieces because isn't big tech not going to let you have an advantage because they don't particularly want that viewpoint or said differently, unless you're hysterical in one direction that they want to reward, you're not going to get the clicks. Sure. Well, that's, that's why it's so important not to, to live kind of in the Twitter bubble um, and there's so many journalists who are on on Twitter, and it's a helpful tool. Um, but so many people think that the echo chamber revolving on Twitter is reflective of what what people really think in in, in the rest of the country. Um, and that's what the Federalist tries to do is to represent the opinions of Americans who don't have time to be on Twitter or who don't care to be on Twitter because they're going about their lives with their families, with their jobs, with their small businesses, going to church. Um, and so, so it's important to not let Twitter hold a bigger place in our lives than it deserves. Well, okay. Easily said, easy, pretty easily said than done. Now you're L Reynolds, our guest, and she writes over at the federalist.com her piece, uh, but Twitter 
is where the, um, I don't know, the, what do you say, the establishment is. I mean, if you want to engage the establishment and try to push back, don't you have to be in Twitter? I, I concede when you go on Telegram, for example, you get on a good channel on Telegram, you're probably getting better information about, say, the Ukraine situation than you are on Twitter. On Twitter, you're just getting spun. But don't you have to sort of engage that fight? Or is it is it, is it better to move off of that? I mean, is it better to leave behind Facebook and Twitter? They're too far gone. Well, I, you don't necessarily have to do that. But I, I think it is important that we have people pushing alternatives like I mean, Truth Social is a recent one. Um, and there's, it's a common kind of more libertarian talking point that, well, it, it's a it's a private company. It can do whatever it wants. Twitter Twitter's a private company. It can do whatever it wants. If it wants to censor you, that's their prerogative. Um, freedom of speech, the Bill of Rights doesn't apply here. Um, right. it, it's true that Twitter is a private entity. Um, however, uh, when you see, you know, the app store banning parlor, shutting down parlor, you, maybe you don't have those right. alternatives as easily as um, those libertarian talking points would want you to think. So it's important to push back in, in that area in, in, you know, trying to, to create your own alternatives. Um, but it's also important. And I think the Babylon Bee is a great example of this. Um, when Twitter shut down their account and threatened to keep it locked until they deleted that story about yeah. Rachel Levine, yep. they said, well, no, we're, we're speaking the truth and you, you can't scare us. Uh, and if, if you're going to censor us, you're going to have to censor us and, and censor all of us. And so I think it's important not to let them in an isolated incident uh, make you back down. But if more of us had that reaction, like the Babylon beat it, I, I think that would go a long way. Yeah, I think so too. It's just, um, you know, it's, as I've said this also, Ellen, you can, um, you can, uh, you're, again, my listeners will be like, poor Elle, she's getting all the Ed says all the time, but, um, you know, it, it self-censorship is the problem, right? And pretty right after self-censorship, people start to do sort of self inaction. You just say, I'm just not going to be, I don't want to be bothered. Right? I got, I got a life. I don't want to, I'm not going to bring it up at uh, dinner because I don't want to deal with my aunt Judy. Right. And, and, and broadly speaking, that gets further out there. Well, listen, L uh, Reynolds, thank you very much for coming on the program. Uh, great to have you on the federalist.com is where her piece is. I'll put it up on social media and she's an editor over there. So she'll have more. So thank you for your time, ma'am. Thanks so much, Ed. Great to speak with you. Okay. We'll take a break. Everybody we will be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a pro America report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro family legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. At Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson's hearing entitled COVID-19, A Second Opinion, infectious disease experts shared their thoughts on how America is handling COVID as compared to other nations. Listen to what some of these experts have to say. Dr. Ryan Cole said that the vaccinated people are not only getting the Omicron variant, but are getting it at a higher rate than the unvaccinated, especially if they received two or three shots. He said, this is why mandates are absolutely moot, irrelevant, and need to go away worldwide adding that we know how to treat an upper respiratory infection like the common cold. Dr. Paul Alexander cited the high risk of vaccinating people who have natural immunity from a previous bout with COVID. Children should never get these vaccines, Dr. Alexander said, noting that properly informed consent has never occurred. Dr. Harvey Risch, the renowned Yale epidemiologist, denounced the mainstream media for failing to report the very significant evidence of benefit from both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, which have shown to reduce hospitalization and death by over 50% when used for early outpatient treatment. Dr. Risch criticized 
outright fraud by the FDA in using data from hospitalized patients to exaggerate the risks of these very safe medications that should be used in the outpatient setting. Dr. Pierre Corey, a specialist in pulmonary critical care, cited evidence from Mexico, India, Brazil, and elsewhere that COVID was virtually eradicated by the early and widespread use of cheap ivermectin. Dr. Mary Bowden, an ear, nose, and throat specialist who, unlike Dr. Fauci, has personally treated many COVID patients, told how Houston Methodist Hospital was warehousing COVID patients with ineffective treatment while impeding early treatment options. These doctors make clear that early treatment is the key to battling COVID, but you won't hear that from the lips of Dr. Fauci and his ilk. Disagreement within the medical community is common, especially when it comes to such novelties as COVID-19. These disagreements aren't a bad thing. In fact, they are the very catalyst of scientific advancement, and we the people should demand that dialogue. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The hypocrisy and lies of the liberal media are alarming and even incite public unrest. But the fake news and the commentators whose slant coverage are finally being exposed. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to provide timely alerts and take effective action on your behalf. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, let's finish up by talking about Indiana a little bit. Indiana. Because um, something happened in Indiana that I am really annoyed about. Okay? And um, I'll tell you what's really going on. That should be a different segment. What's really going on? We could do a segment called What's Really Going On? Because what you need to know is what you need to know. That's the open. But what's really going on? What's really going on in Indiana is that the governor, who's a Republican, just vetoed a bill, okay? The bill that was passed by the Republican House and Senate in Indiana is a transgender, a ban on transgender uh, sports, or sports being, um, um, girls' sports being messed up by transgender athletes, okay? And so... The Indiana governor, his name is Eric Holcomb. Now, when you're governor of a big state, and Indiana's a big state, it's a big enough state. It's not the biggest state, but it's a big enough state. And so when you're, when you're, the, when you're um, a, a governor of a state like Indiana, you got people that are paying attention to you to be vice president, see Mike Pence. You've got uh, people that are um, paying attention to you to be a senator in the future. Um, there's lots of things that are happening in your life that make you very, um, how shall I say, careful. Maybe I mean wimpy, but certainly careful. Okay. And so what happened here in this case is that the governor of Indiana signaled early on in the process that he was okay with this bill. He thought it was a good idea. It was addressing this outrageous destruction of women's sports, girls' sports, by transgender people who are going to crossing over and trying to be uh, in the um, uh, compete in women's sports, these, these men. And so he vetoed it. Now, what's really going on here is that this is a guy that was pressured by the powers that be to not do what he should do, which is sign the ban. It's a ban on transgender guys going into girls' sports. And so he, did, he decided to veto it. 
Now, the pressure that comes in a situation like that is coming from the Chamber of Commerce. It's coming from the NCAA, who clearly doesn't want to do anything about it, right? They're not doing anything about it. You can see that. So we have a situation where the governor of the state has had a ban put on his desk and he vetoes it. And again, what's really going on here is that he is kowtowing to out-of-state interests and to big-money interests and to clean fingernail set, and he doesn't want the story. Now, I, I'm sorry to report this to you. Vice President Pence, when he was governor, he did the same thing. He blinked on a um, protection of religious freedom because he was told it was anti-gay and all this kind of stuff. And he did the opposite of DeSantis, who DeSantis, when he was yelled at last week about one of these bans, he just said, well, I don't care, and he just did it anyway. Pence actually, I don't think he vetoed it. I think he signed it and then he agreed to have a, a compromise when everybody uh, scrambled to try to do a compromise override. Uh, basically, I don't know if it was an override of the bill or just a bill that was passed to override what it did. But the reality is, in this case, that the governor of Indiana has has given up. I mean, he's given in. He's given in to the powers that be that are trying to pressure him. And it's pathetic. And the message to... We the people, I'm not in Indiana, so I'm not a voter there, but people in Indiana, is you can't trust this guy. Because when it gets hard, you're governor. You're, you know, you're the governor. When it gets hard, you're not going to sign the right thing. You're not going to do the right thing. That's bad. That's brutally bad. That's really not a good moment. And that's too bad. And the people of Indiana deserve better. But I got to tell you, you're going to see that more and more. And one of the things I think it was Rod Dreyer has a piece over in um, wherever he went. One of the one of the I'm not sure what site he wrote. I might be on his own website, but he talked about how a lot of the conversations are about how young people are not a live and let live group. They're a if you're wrong, you should be punished for it. If you're wrong, we're going to punish you for it. We're going to punish you in terms of the culture, the cancel culture. We're going to punish you into maybe in terms of other ways. And the, the conversation that was being had online was, well, if you don't fight the culture battles now, you're giving up too much ground. And people feel losers. People sense losing. I was telling somebody, I was describing to someone the dynamic of when you're in a, um, in a meeting. It's important when you're in a meeting, if you want the meeting to go well, for you to get agreement in the first part of the meeting so people are agreeing with each other. It sets the tone of the meeting. If you come in and everybody are disagreeing, then they continue to disagree. So you sort of get people to agree on things. Oh, what? Let's all have let's all have an agenda. The agenda goes like this. Oh yeah, we all agree. Let's all look at the um, uh, the uh, minutes and let's vote on the minutes. Okay, we all agree, unanimous. And you get you reinforce to people that oh, we're all agreeing, we're all agreeing. So when you disagree, first of all, it's not as hostile, and second of all, you might just not disagree. You might say, well, you know, let's just agree on this. Anyway, it's a dynamic, it's a psychology of of how people get along. And when you give in in the culture wars, in these battles, because it's too much trouble, which is what it feels like in Indiana. I can't read the guy's mind, the governor, but it feels like that. Then it becomes a habit. It becomes a way people relate and think about what's going on. And that's not good. That's not helpful. That ends up being a, uh, a problem if you think it's bad on transgender, which is so obvious, there's not a lot, there's not a big constituency that thinks that they're transgender and wants help. There should be a huge constituency that plays girls sports that should be protected. But if you think it's hard now on transgender, Governor Holcomb of Indiana, 
What are you going to do when there's a chance for Indiana to ban abortion? Because there's a Supreme Court decision that says there's no such thing as a made-up right to privacy that allows an abortion on demand. What are you going to do then? What is that guy going to do at that point when it comes to abortion? Because you can bet your bottom dollar that you're going to have everybody from the NCAA to uh, businesses, Eli Lilly, which is based in, uh, I think, based in uh, Indiana, are going to say, oh, you can't ban abortion. It's going to make it a hostile place. We can't stay here. What are you going to do then? If you don't think it's worth standing up to fight for women's sports, if you don't think girls' sports are important enough, and I'm not sitting here arguing yay or nay. I think I, I think it's crazy that they're allowed to do this, but I don't know. You can argue if you want against that. Is it is it significant enough to argue about life? Would that be big enough? What, abortion? Killing? Or is it still, uh, it's going to be too inconvenient, it's going to be too hostile, I don't know. You know, I've talked about self-censorship becomes inaction and it becomes a habit. A body at rest stays at rest. It's the same thing with doing. You know, when you take what you're doing and put your principles in action, you put your faith in action, it becomes a habit. And you're just not afraid of it. You're not afraid of it. You kind of feel good doing it. That's what you should want. That's what we should be striving for. That's what America's always been about. All right, we got to run. Uh, thank you, as always, to our great, great producer, Noah Dingley. Also, our associate producer, Joanna Spilger. Thank you for listening. Visit ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email there and uh, all these great interviews. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs>